1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? During holiday travel, some people get delirious, some get delayed, and some get Del Griffin. American Light Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger. So instead of Thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. Two happy clans just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. Paramount Pictures presents... Steve Martin. John Candy. Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those are pillows. In a new film by John Hughes. Plane, train, and automobiles. See that bear again last week? Yeah, hello again, hello again. Hello and welcome to Is It Yours. I'm Paul Spataro, and this time out, I am joined by Mr. Jason Giaconetti. Welcome aboard, Jay. Hey, thanks for having me. I think this is the first time that you and I don't have a third wheel with us. We don't. I'm, yeah. I'm usually, usually, the third wheel is is your uh, <laughs> your your, your ever present shadow, Luke. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, and we then, did the, we did yeah. the one with Gene Hend- Gene Hendricks that one time. Yep, so, that was the, the, the with the last shark. The, well, uh, that, that was a different kind of comedy than we're covering. That tonight. was uh, not the regatta. Yes, yes, that was <laughs> it was a very different thing. Yeah, no, yeah. This time out though, it's uh, I'll be honest with you. This is uh, um, uh, you know, I, I talk about comedy. I mean, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles. I mean, what do you, what do you, you know, 1987 John Hughes. You know, so yeah, it's well, we're, we're doing this because it's become a 
perennial Thanksgiving movie, but back in 19, what was it, 1987 it came 87, out? 87, yeah, 87, uh, yeah. I saw this in the movies when it first came out, and, you know, as, as we were just talking, you know, you were depressing me a little bit by the fact that I was, <laughs> I was a young adult at the time that I was watching this, whereas you were still, uh, you know, a, kid, a child. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. but did you see this in the movie theater or did you I, see it on home video? We did not. We actually saw it on home theater at, at home. Um, and I actually didn't get to see it until after my parents watched it because the movie, um, the problem is, is that uh, for those of you who don't know, the movie's rated R. And that for a John Hughes movie, that's kind of a big step because um, this is the, one of his adult his adult, you know, uh, movies and not adult in like, you know, porno adult, adult. And then like it deals with the grownups kind of thing. And there is one scene in this movie that makes it R. Otherwise, this movie is basically PG to PG-13. There's nothing else really in this movie except for the one scene where the F word is used 18 times in 60 seconds. Um, perfectly, by the way, that allows it to happen. So my, my mom and dad actually watched it. And my dad laughed so hard, he almost actually peed himself. Like, my dad was <laughs> crying. And he said to me the next day, he goes, you and Luke have to watch this movie. And I said, well, what movie? He goes, Plane, Trains, and goes, and I said, Dad, isn't that kind of like a grown-up movie? And Luke at the age of seven and me at the age of nine, you know, roughly about those ages, right, kind of thing, you know, kind of thing. And he's like, he goes, no, you have to watch it. And you have to remember, at the age of, at that age, we had already seen, um, we had already seen, like, um, obviously, you know, Abbott Costello and, like, you know, things like that. But we had already seen um, Blazing Saddles. So language was not a problem to us. My brother and I totally understood that adults spoke a different way than children did. And even though Luke and I did use some salty language, not around our parents, um, we understood like there was a place and a time for certain language to be used, um, especially in a movie like Blazing Saddles, which, good Lord, I cannot imagine they can actually show that anywhere anymore for the amount of uh, vulgarity used in that movie. But we saw it there, and when we first saw it, I we were crying. We were, my, my dad had just seen it, and he, it still was new. Could he just watch it? And he, my dad was crying all over again, and it, and it was just was so funny. And it's so different than the other comedies we had seen at that point because, like, I didn't know about, like, being a grown-up. I didn't know about the advertising world and, like, having to get home. But it's like those universal truths just kind of come through. So Yeah, but, uh, no, it definitely I, has I, a lot of that. <laughs> I, I would be honest with you. I would love to see this. Actually, um, I want to say it was about – Two or three years ago, the Alamo Draft House um, here in New York, the one that's um, down in like the Yonkers-ish area, um, they actually did. Um, it was Tuesday. It was a Tuesday night. It was actually so it would have been Tuesday night. It was the Thanksgiving show, and it was um, plane trains and automobiles. And it was um, what was it? what was their promotion? Uh, it was like the tickets were like, were like twenty bucks a piece, but you got oh they had uh, they had a shower ring you got and you got a beer and a hot dog. He goes, he goes, how about a beer? How about a beer and a hot dog? How about, how about just a beer? How about just a hot dog? But they got a beer and a hot dog, and it's, and it's adult only. And I and we saw it. My buddy John, I go, we got to go. And I got online to get his tickets. It sold out in about five minutes. Like the entire 200 or 150 seat sold out. I'm like, oh, no. The Alamo Draft House, for those of you who have never don't know Alamo Draft House or have never seen them, if you look into them, they run a lot of special promotions. They run um, the Ugly Christmas Sweater Party for um national lampoon's christmas vacation they'll run milk and cookies for home alone they will do special showings i don't know during christmas and stuff like that so and they have not run this again they ran it once and they didn't run it again i was like we've got to go see plane trains and automobiles with an audience i think that 
sometimes now you saw it with an audience yes. i think sometimes seeing a comedy with an audience is a very different experience than seeing it at home you know what i'm saying yeah, well especially seeing it with an audience seeing at home with people seeing at home alone three very different experiences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it's, I, it, I it is a fact that laughter is contagious i mean it's okay. just a given unless you know you're a hard ass about it yeah you know, <laughs> I mean, i'm sure i'm sure you could sit there and say you know i'm not gonna laugh and you could go right, out of your right. way to not do that but right. yeah. when when you you know if you're if you're in the appropriate mood, laughter is most definitely contagious. Sure. So if you're in a, you know if you're in a room with people watching a comedy, and the comedy has any level of humor, it's more to me it's more enjoyable to watch mm-hmm. it with other people. Mm-hmm. So you know that is that is one of the reasons. You know, I, we, we I've talked about this in the past a little bit, and and I left this off. So that I think you make a good point. I talk about why how. You know, now with the home theater systems being the way they are, with the availability of movies the way they are, you know, what is it that makes you go to a movie theater? You know, what is it that makes it worthwhile? Uh, And usually I point to, you know, big special effects saying that that's, you know, what's worth seeing on the big screen. But that does discount the fact that comedy also, Mm -hmm. you know, is is a, a little bit more of a communal experience. And, you know, as long as we're on that same vein, to some extent, horror also. Oh yeah, I think they, they they all translate better to big audiences. Yeah, horror, horror movies in general. I and mean, when we talked, we touched on this um, when we talked about the Descent on the Vault. Um, the Descent's a movie that's very claustrophobic and very much like even watching it at home, it makes you feel claustrophobic. And but it does unrelenting. And when a movie is unrelenting, whether it be horror or like a comedy that just keeps hitting you and hitting you and hitting you, um, since you can't pause it, you can't like unless you get up and walk out of the theater. You can't stop it. You know, that the ability to pause a movie at home sometimes gives you a release that you kind of need. And that's what happens, I think, a lot of times with some of the best horror movies. When And let's be honest, that's really what Jaws is. You know, kind of thing. Like, if you talk about, like, the idea, like, in Jaws, the suspense builds and builds and builds. Jaws works really well when you see it with people who don't know what's coming, who haven't seen it. Like, you know, like that gas, like, you know, you could see the movie a hundred times, but if, like, you have someone who's never seen it, they have that reaction. You have that reaction. You you share that reaction with them. You know, it's it's just great. And to me, I, I'd be very honest. I don't see many comedies. Period. Outside of at home, I, I really don't. To, to go see a comedy, I'd really have to be something I really wanted to see. Um, and to go to a movie, a lot of times, to be honest, it is the big special effects movies. It's Kong of Skull Island. It's you know things like that. Like we don't go to the movies, or we're going to see. Like, you know, Captain Underpants, you know, mm-hmm. kind of things I'm taking my daughter, um, which was very funny also, uh, but for different reasons. But you know what I'm saying? Like, so that that mentality is, is it's totally true. And I think what you get with horror and comedy, because they walk that that very fine line of your emotions to push you to your, you know, laughing hysteric. Because when you're laughing, you're putting you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable situation. You're laughing. You don't have control like you're you. When you're really laughing, you can't stop laughing. You don't have control over your body. Let's be honest. When you're really scared, you don't necessarily have control over that either. The fear is just so palpable, you know, kind of thing. Those two extremes, I don't think you get that as much with like a drama, you know, kind of thing. If you're going to see like like a a love story or a drama, whatever, maybe you have your emotions there and that's fine. And I'm not discounting that, but it's like, it's not quite those extremes. And I think those extremes are why they work so well communally in the theater. So and I'm trying to think of the last comedy I saw in the theater um, where it was like, oh, my God, it was really funny. 
and I know some people love like the Hangover movies and things like that. And I'm sure they're, I mean, and they were funny, but they're not, you know. And in a theater, they probably were even funnier. As everyone's belly laughing. I'm trying to think of the last time I went and saw a comedy where I was like, "Wow, that was really, really funny." And I'm really like, in, all of us are all laughing together. It's just not something I do. Horror movies, different story. I've been there, and you know, you know, perfect example would be this: is when The Exorcist was re-released years and years ago. Took my now wife to see The Exorcist. She'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. I mean, terrified her. A movie I've seen. 20 times at that point was scary again because she was scared she was i mean she was scared from the opening from the trailers she was scared but she was scared and you could feel the fear in there and it's just that extreme and i'm like why am i getting scared i know this is going to happen in this movie I, I know every line in this movie but you're you, you're you start moving towards it you know what i'm saying so yeah oh that's that's but, cool yeah yeah we we so. recently covered the exorcist and in mm-hmm. my opinion it is still scary it is uh, oh the thing is, though, but The Exorcist is much, to be honest, I've seen it. I've seen uh, the reg, you know, the, the old cut we used to see, the cleaned up cut. Or, at home, it's still effective. But in the theater, it is so effective. Because when you're in a theater full of people who are having that same reaction, that fear reaction, that, that, you know, that, that, that palpable, the tension, it amps the movie up. When my, um, my parents, my, my dad always tells us a story. Um, my parents saw, um, mother jugs and speed, which is not, a, which is a, a Bill Cosby comedy back in the day. And the sneak preview with it was a movie starring Gregory Peck and, you know, and it's the omen and what could this be? And they saw the omen having no idea what the omen was. So you just went from mother jugs and speed, which is kind of like, you know, it's got drug stuff and it's comedy and whatever. And you could hear a pin drop in the theater. My dad said you had people walking out terrified from the theater back in the 70s because you didn't know what you were getting it was just a few that stay for the next movie right yeah well I, that, I, you know right? I, I don't want to i don't want to go too yeah. off, far off on sure other movies, I, know, I know i know but but yeah. when i saw the i saw the omen in the movie theater with my mom and dad because i was still relatively young right, at the right, time right and i had no idea what i was going to see and i was terrified <laughs> right but that's what i'm saying so think about that that experience though not that the omen still isn't is a very effective movie that that those 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 the the best the best of the movies that bring out your fear in you the exorcist rosemary's baby the omen things like that they work so well there other side of the spectrum yeah other side of the spectrum comedy (laughs) plane trains and automobiles i mean i can only imagine like as as i'm as now i've seen this movie i mean i've seen this movie tons and tons of times i can do all the lines in the movie it still makes me laugh because there's still stuff that's so ludicrous and funny all these years later. It's even better because my, my wife says, oh, I think I've seen it. I, I know she hasn't seen it kind of thing. But I'll, like when we're watching a, co- a comedy, like it doesn't, have to be, I mean, it doesn't matter what comedy it is, but a comedy that I love and she watches it and she laughs, it gets me to laugh again at those jokes that I already know are coming. Even though I'm, you know, it's, I, I laugh harder because it's now that communal share. This movie has definitely got that. It's To be honest, is that if you could get Let's say you had five or six people who had never seen plane, trains, and automobiles, and you had them over for Thanksgiving or the day before Thanksgiving, right? The Friendsgiving is a, now that in thing that all the, the cool kids do that I'm not ever part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and you put this on. So let's say you had you, know, you had your you know had your you ate you had a, you know everyone's having a couple you know adult you know, libations and whatever. You put this movie on where people haven't seen it. You will have people actually urinate themselves because they will laugh their butt off during it. And yet at the same time. 
John Hughes is a master of doing that. He knows how to make situations work. So, but yeah, I'm sorry. I, you know me, I, I start tangenting. That's the, <laughs> no uh, problem. That's, that's the math teacher here to me. That's so. why I invite you on. Yeah. <laughs> just so we could have the, uh, yeah. So just, just to, to hit the movie, you know, <laughs> to, to go back to the movie. Uh, yeah. First time I saw it, I, I just thought it was great. And we, mm-hmm. we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the nature of comedy. And I, I think it's worth having a conversation sure. about that with this. Uh, because mm-hmm. this is a movie, as I mentioned a couple of times, that has now become the seminal Thanksgiving yeah. movie. I mean, there aren't a lot of Thanksgiving movies, to be honest with you. And yeah. the ones that I associate with Thanksgiving are the movies that they would show every year on Thanksgiving, which it, pretty much yeah. for me is, you know, March of the Wooden Soldiers, uh, King Kong, and Mighty Joe Young. Those yep. are the three movies every year on Thanksgiving we watch them, so I associate them with Thanksgiving. But none of those movies have anything to do with Thanksgiving. <laughs> this movie actually right. takes place, you know, Steve Martin is, uh, you know, he, he's a, a businessman who has to go to New York. He's desperate to get back to Chicago to his family to be there for Thanksgiving. And, you know, he ends up meeting up with Del Griffin, played by John Candy, and comedy ensues because everything that could go wrong goes wrong. Uh, so, but it's become a perennial viewer. So right. it's it's something, you know, I watched it quick. yesterday and I was yeah. cracking up laughing as I was watching it again. And what I, you know, what we're talking about now and what we, you know, what my long-winded way of getting around to this is why is this movie still funny when you already know all yeah. the jokes and you've seen it already? And I'm going to give you the floor to talk about that a little bit before I give my thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, that, and that's one of the things that's, and then again, that's what I'm going to say is you're, you're watching the, the absurdity of a situation unfold in front of you and you know what's going to happen. And yet, yet you're like, okay, I know whatever they're going to do. Cause within the first five minutes, you know that there's no way when, when Ferris Bueller's dad says to him, you're not making the six o'clock, right? You know, he gets in the elevator, you know that nothing's going to work the way it's supposed to work in this movie. Right. So anytime you're like, wow, that's going to, that's going to totally work. It's never going to be there. The problem is, and this is this is one of the things that and I, I find it with the comedies that I find to be my favorite comedies of all time. Are my favorite comedy of all time, the ones that I hold in my heart as the ones I love, the ones that make me laugh hysterically every time I see them, or the ones that feel like they feel like that like you know that 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 pair of shoes that are broken in, right? They feel comfortable, they feel lived in, they feel like part of your life. They feel like they're they're part of your memories and to be really honest the best comedies to me are the ones that feel like something i can like you just slip right into them odd couple which we've talked about on here before plane trains and automobiles is definitely one of them. christmas vacation which is still very very funny but it feels so comfortable so much of that like being part of it and i think that's one of the things that we're able to get here and john hughes is is great at doing that. When you look back at his teen movies, you can get that feeling too. And again, 16 Candles and, um, you know, The Breakfast Club and stuff like that. Those are movies that, um, you know, when you look back at the 80s teen stuff, depending on your age and when you're seeing them and stuff like that, that stuff becomes very important as well. But the comedies that resonate with you have that feeling of like, you know, it, could you, could you put it, okay. So a movie like Shaun of the Dead is about zombies and it's funny and I love Nick Frost and I love Simon Pegg and I love Edgar Wright. That movie's not going to happen. This movie actually did happen. John Hughes was in New York for a meeting 
tried to fly back to Chicago, got stuck in Wichita, Kansas, and took him five days to get home. He wrote the movie based on that. This movie happened. Like, it seems absurd, but this thing could happen. And when it can happen, I think it gives that, that reality that allows you to feel like, okay, like, is this likely going to happen? No. Could it happen? Sure. Are there people like Del Griffin in the world? I guarantee you there are, right? Are there people like Neil Page in the world? I guarantee you there are. And every single character you meet along the way, you're like, mm, okay, I could see a person like that. I could see a person like that. At no point are you going, okay, that's just completely fake. You know, even when the thing is so absurd that there's no way that, okay, how could you do this? All right. You know, you're willing to buy it. You know, it's at no point is it, is it asking you to be like, okay, let's believe that now they're all vampires or let's believe that they're all now, whatever. It's just two guys who are, to be completely honest, two very sad people. I mean, I don't know if you got that feeling too, but there are two very sad people who are forced together. And during that time, they grow a lot. There's a lot of growth in this movie, even though Steve Martin doesn't want to grow at all. And, you know, kind of thing. And it seems like John Candy can't ever stop talking. Um, it's just true. The other thing too, and I think this is really, uh, I think what finds, that, I think why this movie works. Steve Martin is not doing funny Steve Martin. He's not doing funny man Steve Martin. He's not being silly. He's not, it's not the jerk. It's not, you know, whatever. He's not doing that. He's being his character. And, he, and there are some very funny scenes of that happen, but it's not him doing shtick. It's not him doing Steve Martin, I'm a funny guy. Yeah, it's, it's him being it's not reserved. Steve Martin, a la Robin Williams, a la Jim Carrey. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's, it's not the taking it and putting it into his own persona. It's him actually embodying the role that he's playing. I agree with you. And yeah. doing funny things within that framework. Right. As opposed and to I, turning Neil Page into just another Steve Martin character. Right. And I think that's why this movie works so well. Um, a movie this, uh, it's, it's, it reminds me kind of like, he, he actually wrote Roxanne. When you watch Roxanne, like, it's Steve Martin doing his thing, but it's a, he's more serious in that role too. Steve, when he, when he does that, he's so good. He's a good enough actor to truly give you that. But at the same time, you know, his facial expressions, the stuff he says, like the quips, the, 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 the writing is great here too. And we're not getting funny man John Candy. We're getting a John Candy. Like this isn't this. You know, he's. I mean, he's he's he, Dell. Dell is just you know, like I mean, good lord. It could you, you know, it's it's he's he's kind of like awkward and you know he's he doesn't know when to stop talking and he's he's just kind of whatever he has his. But he, he as he said, he I, I you know my wife loves me, likes me. I like me. I like my customers like me. He's. He's this. He's built himself into this thing, which we eventually learn why. But we don't get John Candy doing, you know, you know, SCTV John Candy. He's not being funny, John Candy, and that's why this movie works. Well, also, you know what I'm Del, Del Griffith has more heart oh than, any, than any other characters John Candy <laughs> ever played. Yes, and and, and when I you think... look at you look at his character, I looked at this movie, and and this is the first time I've seen this movie probably twenty times. Sure, I, I was watching it 
to get ready for, for our recording mm-hmm. session. And I was thinking about the two characters. And I was thinking, Neil Page, actually, I disagree with you a little bit because I don't think he was a sad person. I think he was very happy in his life. He's got a wife who loves him. He's got two children, I think. And, you know, he, he's got a good family, a good house, a good life. I think he was happy in his life. He just was miserable in the situation he was put into. But the movie causes him to grow and become a better person, which is, you know, all great. John Candy, I do think, is a kind of a sad person who desperately wants company and wants to be liked. And as I was watching the movie, I was like, I think we watch this and we all want to be Neil Page because he's the guy who's the normal one, put in finger mm-hmm. quotes, who's yep. who's having all the strange things happen to him, but he's still the normal guy. John Candy really isn't. John Candy is the the you know the, the strange guy. But I got to tell you, in my life, I think I've been Del Griffith more than I've been Neil Page. There have been yeah. times where I, you know, probably talk too much or try to please people too much and end up being embarrassed or, or uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, those those aren't good things, good memories. But I've probably been Del Griffith more often than I would like to be. Yeah. So I there can see his character reason- and I can relate to him a little bit. And that's, you know, that that gives him a level of heart and emotion that I, I don't think I've ever seen from a John Candy character before. Yeah. I mean, well, oh, I mean, without a doubt, this is, to me, this is John Candy's probably best role ever for as an actor. Like, for what the depth, what you get out of this. Again, when you the first time you see this movie, it's very funny. And maybe you miss out on stuff. On repeated viewings, you get the sadness. You see the sadness in him. Like he's trying to cover it up with the the big persona and like oh you know whatever like but it's just it's just he's a guy who's clearly has a lot of sadness. The reason why I, the reason I always said that to me that uh, um, that Neil had some sadness. I'm not his. He's I think Neil when he, when he says you know I I'm not home enough. I think when we in, in, the, in, the, in the beginning of the movie you, he he looks like he has it all together. He's the guy. You start seeing him saying man I really. I really miss my family. Not now, since I can't be with them, because I'm not able to do that. I'm missing that. Those scenes, when you watch them now, and, I, and I, it hit me today, and like, and that's what I, I said to you online. I said, this movie have you laughing your ass off, and then then written and crying your guts out. It's so mm-hmm. hard when Neil, when 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 you know, an interaction between Neil and Dell, when Neil, you know, talks about like, well, you know, we're gonna get home to my family, whatever, and I'm missing this. And he's like, oh, man, you know, and he's like trying to cover it up. But you can just see the sadness in John Candy's eyes. You can see how sad he is. And it's that to me is why this movie resonates, I think, with people. Even if even if you never picked it up before, because that you know people who are like, OK, like who put on a brave face every day, but they're really sad. Like depression is such a, a, a crazy thing. And the strongest people sometimes are the people who have the most depression, but they hide it well. He tries to hide it by being bigger than life and being, you know, and he is. And that's the thing is, too. And that's that's one of the, the funniest things when you think about it. You think about John Candy was a very large gentleman, right? And and not that not that Steve Martin is a small guy, but Steve Martin's small next to him. But when when you with the way they talk, like except for the scene when when Neil really goes off on him in the hotel room when he's like being really harsh and mean to him, um, you know, right after they are stuck, you know, um, when after the plane and everything, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, Steve Martin, I mean, except when he finally explodes, everything with him is like, all right, fine. All right, fine. Like he's trying to deal with it the way he would deal with it as a businessman. Like, all right, let's do this. And, 
everything with John Cain. I got a guy. I got a thing. It's, it's all a scheme and a plan and a this and a that. I sold him some shower rings. Oh, I sold him shower rings. And it's just that bigger than life thing. You're like, oh my God. Like, could you have two more different physical bodies, physical people next to each other? Different emo- uh, the, the way they present, the way they are presenting themselves as uh, who they are to the world. Two different ideas. Like, it's so, there's such a dichotomy between them. But it works so beautifully together, and you know, and, and I think that's one of the that's one of the th- things is as 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 I was gonna and I I put it on this morning and it's just so funny because John Hughes has his people his you know throughout the whole thing like I said that's that's um you know that's Ferris Bueller's dad sitting in the meeting with him you know kind of thing you know mm-hmm. you're never gonna make the six o'clock you know kind of thing. As, as William Wyndham, Wyndham is looking right. at the things, and he's yes. in, he's got a little part in just about every John Hughes movie. Yes, yeah. And Kevin Bacon is the taxi the taxi racer. He's the guy. And that was Kevin Bacon saying after um, you know after they made uh, um, she's having a baby. He said, "I'm in town. I'll do whatever part you want." They said, "Kevin, you want to come in and do this?" He goes, "Yeah." I mean, he doesn't have a line, you know. And yet it's Kevin Bacon racing him for the cab. Like those things like that, I think really add to the flavor of this movie too. Um, you know, there's, I mean, I have the whole, like a whole list of people who wind up being characters who are really great characters and you're like, Oh, that's so cool. But it adds that whole flavor, the feel to uh, the movie as well, because, you know, you could have anybody have, you know, been running for that cab, but it's Kevin Bacon and you're like, Oh, it's Kevin Bacon. Like, you know, that's, a, that's even now people know who Kevin Bacon is, you know, kind of thing. You know, I mean, at the time he was red hot, you know, he was a hot name, you know, as a young actor. So, but, um, yeah, this the uh, the um, the thing with with John Hughes and and he had he had always said it takes him um, the, the longest it ever takes him to write a screenplay is five days um, and when he wrote this screenplay it took him about three days and the or screenplay he banged it out and then um, usually a comedy is about ninety pages so this comedy came in at about one hundred and thirty to one hundred and fifty pages. And he goes, yeah, I got to kind of cut some of his back, I think, but it's really, really good. Supposedly, there is a 300-page treatment that he did (laughs) that takes like somewhere between three and a half hours to lay it all out. That doesn't really exist, exist, but it's all the different cuts and and then rewrites and everything else like that. Because why? He goes, goes, I write, he he always says, I write dialogue and thank God I type fast because that's how I write dialogue. He doesn't spend months and months writing dialogue. It's that natural dialogue. But think about that. How many times you watch like, I mean, okay. So when De Niro and Pacino are having their conversation in the diner in heat, I don't know how long that took to write, but that's a, in that conversation between them. And that's, that's some real dialogue happening there. When you hear the dialogue in plane trains and automobiles, this is the way people talk. This yeah, is, oh yeah. you know, 1987, this is real, you know, and doesn't that make it better? Like, doesn't that make it seem so much more acceptable? Like, yeah, that's how people talk. And one of the like things, the kids I, that, you know, yeah. one of the things I yeah. like about the the dialogue is Steve, uh, Neil Page and Del Griffith are two very different personalities, and Sorry. you can see it in the uh, or you can hear it, whatever you want to mm-hmm. say, in the dialogue that they have. Steve Martin, Neil Page is very sarcastic mm-hmm. in almost everything he says, and the you know Del Griffith is is just so hard on his sleeve you know he's yep. he's got a big secret but other than that there's everything yeah. right out there yeah and you know the thing is too and I think and I think this 
I mean, I remember, I, I mean, I, again, I knew it was going to happen and I, it hit me harder today thinking back again, once you know, Dell Dell's whole secret at the end, it, it, you see it so often. The scene where the, the really harsh interaction at the motel where he's going to go sleep in the lobby and, and he just, he, I mean, he, where, where Neil Page just rips Del Griffin apart. I mean, just tears him limb to limb. And you're like, God, and he's like, you know, you'd have, and you just keep pulling it. Yak, yak, yak. And you're, t- and you're just like, there's, there's nothing funny about what he's saying. And he's not wrong, but he's not really right. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, it's, it's, it's the, but that whole scene, and then, and then what, and then of course, what, what Dell says back to him, he goes, my, you know, my wife thinks I'm, my wife likes me. I like me. My customers like me. You know, I have, you know, I'm an easy target. Like all those things he's saying, you're like, okay, think about how emotional punch that scene is. What's mm-hmm. the next thing that happens? It is one of the funniest parts of the movie because they, he, he's like, fine. And he gets in the bed and, and whatever. And oh, then they the, wake the, up the next yeah. morning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the two so, <laughs> yeah, those aren't pillows. Right. But the best part is when they're filming that, of course, that, you know, there's a steady cam over the top of the bed. When you look at it, it pans from the picture of his wife and there's, there's Cracker Jacks all over him on the bed. There's food everywhere. And remember, he spilled all the beer all over the bed. And they're snuggled up. And Steve Martin looks like a child in the arms of John Candy. And he's like nibbling his ear and kissing him and stuff like that, right? And he goes, why'd you kiss my ear? I don't know. Why are you holding my hand? You know, where's your other hand? Think about how crazy it is. So he took you from a situation where, man, it hits you hard. That's a that's, that's drama. That's harsh reality. To good lord, is that scene funny? And you let I know it's coming. Those aren't pillows, and you just know that's coming, and it's still funny. See, at the point when Steve Martin, I, I keep going back and forth between yeah. the character names and the real yeah. names. Yeah, that's all good. Doesn't matter. Yeah, we're good. That. But good. Uh, when when he basically rips into Dell, yeah. and he gives that whole speech at the time. It feels justified because yeah, right. Dell yeah. is just you know he's just you, you just can't deal with him. He just you know like he doesn't stop. Yeah. And then when you know so like I said, it feels it feels justified, uh, and and you feel sorry for Dell, no question. But you also feel sorry for Neil because he's so put upon at this point. Yes. And you know when when he like hit the speech he gives is funny when he does the chatty Kathy thing or when he talks about, you know, here's an idea. When you have a story, when you tell a story, have a point, you know, like it's funny. Well, it is. I'm I'm saying, okay, the problem becomes again, once you know everything else, it just, it it seems so harsh because you know that Dell is really trying to, he's, he's not trying to be a screw up. He just is a screw up, you know, kind of thing and whatever. And yes, but there is, there definitely is humor in what he's, some of the things he is saying. Um, but it's not, I mean, but it's not the, it's to me, those aren't the big laughs of the movie. Those are not the, those aren't the, that, that's what makes the movie feel like, you know, a part of memory and a part of like that comfort level. Cause it's like, okay, yes, is there is humor in, even in, in, in the worst things in life, you can find humor. And then there's the really funny stuff that's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? So right. yeah, I agree. It's, and yeah, well, yeah. Have a point. Yeah, kind of. It's just. I've heard yes. people use that line many well, times. I've That's one of that the line. one of the most common <laughs> quotes I've heard from this movie. Yeah, I, I feel like I've said that. Thankfully, to my not to like, me. Yeah. Since yeah. I did compare well, myself to Dell before, people have not used that to me. 
I feel like I've said that to my daughter and said to her, Haley, if you're going to tell me a story, make sure it has a point, you know, kind of thing. And like, not trying to be mean, but I'm just saying, you know, so, but, um, yeah, it's, and, and I think that's also too, when you, when you think about once that happens, once that interaction happens, and then you have the, the, the situation in, in the bed, and then, then you start getting some of the crazy, crazier stuff that occurs during the movie that, Again, not crazy like I can't possibly believe, you know, I, I have to suspend belief and believe in, you know, monsters or whatever. But, like, the scene where uh, where Owen pulls up to pick them up and, um, you know, uh, he goes, you know, he, he yells at his wife. You, you lazy. Know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she did, her first baby came out sideways. She didn't scream or nothing. Right? No, we got it. It's heavy. It's heavy. Like, it's just, What? what like you just but it's it's just so like okay and i know it's coming but and he just he's so like and, he, and he's spitting the chaw and like oh, you know it's just when so when disgusting he's, when he's like yeah when he's like breathe yeah. like i don't even know, you know what you call it he's like sucking in through his nose and he's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. i don't know but it's it just cracks it's, me up every time yeah yeah and and the thing is as you go through um you know because uh i mean at this point we've already seen um his wife uh that's um Leia robbins plays susan page you know she's at home and she's kind of you know whatever matthew lawrence is little neil at the table right i said to kelly i said man i said this movie has got i said i forgot who's in it and she goes we need to go the kid is not macaulay calkins macaulay calkins and uncle buck i said i said there's somebody famous who's the little kid and she goes there is i go so as soon as i go oh my god it's matthew lawrence and Matthew Lawrence, again, you know, very, very young there, right? So as you start going through, the characters in the movie are all John Hughes people, right? You know, kind of the people he uses and people who became other John Hughes people. Throughout, those what are what really helped make, I think, some of those things. Because he got, it's not like he just got some guy. He got really good actors, you know, kind of thing, for very small roles. <laughs> so, mm. But, uh, um, you know, um, when you think about as, as as it goes, you know, you go through. I mean, just that. I mean, you know, baby came out sideways. She didn't scream or nothing. And um, and it's still the absurdity of what you're looking at. They're sitting in the back of the truck. And he goes, "Well, how many miles is it?" He goes, "Ah, uh, no more than thirty. Thirty-five, maybe. Well, maybe forty. Unless he goes the longer, then it could be up to eight. And it's just like what? Like they're sitting in the back and they're freezing cold. And of course, he goes to get the gloves, and the dog is there, and they are all frozen at the end. And it's just like. It's just so funny because the visual of them, there's a frost in their eyes and the dog is still snarling, but there's frost all over them. Oh, it just, yeah. I'm just, it's, I mean, so. Yeah, and, anyway. and, now, and now we get back to why does this keep being funny every time you see it? Yeah. And I, I got to go with a couple of elements on this thing. Sure, sure. And, and it's, it's really, uh, you know, the first element of comedy, I think, is, you know, the writing. You have to get, you know, you have to come up with funny writing. But no matter how well written something is, if it's not delivered the right way, yeah. it's not going to be funny. And that is why I've said on many occasions, uh, one of the most difficult things to do is to get somebody to laugh out loud over the written word because right. you're not getting it performed for you. And, and comedy, you know, comedy is often based on absurdity. So having it delivered the right way is important. And I could tell you, I'm not the best at delivering comedy uh, because a lot of times when I've tried to tell somebody about lines from a movie or things of that nature, you know, they hear it and they say, oh, that's not so funny. And it's because I don't deliver it as well as say an Eddie Murphy might mm -hmm. or, or a John Candy or Steve Martin. Uh, so now that becomes the second element of it is just the, 
you know, the way the lines are deadpanned or, or the timing and when they deliver the lines and how they do it. And, and here we have two just great actors, you know, as far as that goes, doing that. So you have that element of it. You have a well-written movie with the lines delivered really well. And then the third element that I come up with, and I'm sure there's a lot more that I'm leaving out, but I'm doing it as far as this movie in particular. Sure, sure. Is the absurdity of the situations when you when yeah. when you have the two people not delivering funny lines and not you know just not not doing their own thing? Now you put them in a strange situation. You have to put them in something where it's going to just bring the comedy out. So you have that crazy guy with his wife, or yep. uh, you know the, just just so many different things in the course of this movie that that happen uh, that just are absurd. Uh, and and you also have over-the-top reactions to things that we all could see happening, which is goes sure. back to, to what you were saying before about, you know, most you, you don't ever expect anything to happen like the way it does in this movie. Certainly you don't expect it to happen in mass the way it does here, but every yes. individual thing that happens, you could yep. see happening. Yep. And, I, and, I, and I, go to, I go to him, you know, going to get his car from the uh, rental place and the car's not there. You know, you could, you could see that happening and it's not funny in and of itself, but when you put it no, into the totality of this movie and then his reaction to it yeah. it becomes hilarious well that okay so this movie is is for people who have never seen plane trains and automobiles what they know this movie for is literally that scene 60 seconds and um you know again uh that's um that's uh eating eating mcclure eating uh, mcclure i can't say her last name mcclure um she's McClure. the car rental agent Clerk, sorry. Yes, and she's, she, and she's, she's another John Hughes regular. Yes, she's she's, she's Mrs. Poole from the from the Hogan family. She's the secretary from uh, from uh, Paris Bueller. He's a righteous dude. You know that's her, right? She's so good in that role. It is sixty seconds. That entire thing is sixty seconds, and they say the f word eighteen times, and it is used perfectly each and every time. And that scene just shows you. How far can you push this man? And he just loses it. And it's not like he's just swearing to swear. You know, it's not like it's not like some of these movies nowadays where they just curse to put curse words in. It all makes sense in how he's saying it. And by the time he gets there, because you've now he's in the parking lot, and of course the car's not there, so he's running. So it's three miles back to there. He falls down the embankment. His hat gets run over. He looks like like absolute crap. And the best is when they did the scene. Originally, she's on the phone taking reservations for cars. And John Hughes has said to her after three takes, he goes, you know what? This time, just talk about Thanksgiving. How infuriating would that be? Now, think about this. So, so, so gentle listener, think about this. You now have gone through the worst couple days of your life. The car that is supposed to be there to take you home for Thanksgiving is now not there. You've now walked three miles through the snow. Your briefcase, everything you have is trashed. Here's a woman at the rental counter who's supposed to be able to help you. And now she's on the phone with her sister talking about Thanksgiving, making gobble gobble sounds and whatever. That's why that works so much better. If she's there going, oh, yes, no problem. We'll have that Lincoln Continental for you. Okay, that's the mundanity of what her job is. But she's making a personal phone call. There's a line of people. Doesn't care. She's on a personal call. And she's like, how can I help you? And she's just perky. And it's just you get why he's like, I want you to take that effing, and it's and it's just, oh my God. So 
the funny part is, if you were to take that one scene out, technically speaking, this movie is PG-13, maybe PG. I mean, there's a couple other bad words here and there, but nothing major. When they tested it, and this is what I, I actually wanted, they actually had uh, an interview done back in 87 with John Candy and uh, Steve Martin and John Hughes. When, when they tested it out with audiences, no test audience, even though there was that much uh, you know, use of the F word, felt that scene in any way hurt the film, in any way um, upset people, or in any way was somehow like not part of what it should have been. In fact, people actually pointed to that scene as the one they felt was the most, uh, they felt was one of their favorite scenes because it showed just how much what the breaking point was for Neil. And think about it. I mean, Neil doesn't have, I mean, he has you know, all this stuff occurring to him. But that is the scene where he, I mean, as much as he loses it on him in the, in the hotel room, that scene right there, yes, yes, that is it. And, and, and it is funny still, even at the end when he goes, I threw it away. And you're like, <laughs> oh, no, because it's coming. So, um, But yeah, then you I even mean, have the follow-up to that because he's yeah. so angry now. That oh, he confronts, fuck. he confronts the the uh, other guy, who, <laughs> the, who the taxi guy who punches yeah. him in the face and then picks him up by his by his groin. And the best is when he's talking with the squeaky voice. I've never seen a man picked up by a scrotum before. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I, 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 what does he say? Is it something? Uh, you know, you have no idea how much I thought you were dead. You have no idea how much I wish I was. Wish I was dead. <laughs> and it's the squeaky voice. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because one of the I, – I, I know we didn't – when, they, when they're in the Wichita airport, so Ben Stein is the guy. He's the Wichita airport representative. He's the one on the – ladies and gentlemen, we're going to cancel the flight. Of course, Ben Stein is the teacher um, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, Ben Stein has become, you know, whatever. So just those little things, those little touches here and there throughout the movie make it make it work so well. The characters are, are just nonstop. I mean – um, uh, what's his face? Michael McKeon as the state trooper. Um, there's mm-hmm. actually an extended scene there. It's actually an scene. It's not on the Blu-ray, and I was the only the Blu-ray only has one deleted scene, and it's actually on the plane, and it's really funny um, because it's all about the the food on the plane, and it's just. But when you're watching it, I, I think I know why they cut it because it doesn't actually add a ton to the movie, but it's Dell going on about why he orders different food and if or whatever. But the scene originally they had shot there when he pulls him over in, in the car. The car is just burnt out do you feel this vehicle is safe for travel i do sir i guess i, I do i really do <laughs> i really do and steve you know, next going, to him nodding his head like in agreement which i just i love that you know if you're going nope this but oh, they're all melted but the radio works clear as a bell sir so um <laughs> the problem is that at that point when he's like originally they were supposedly a hundred miles past chicago and they were going the wrong way so Dell gets it. So Dell's like, "What do you mean?" And Neil gets out, and they fight, and they got the whole big thing. It didn't add to the movie. It actually, they said they dragged the movie down too much. They took it away. And I, and I heard that, and I was like, and they showed little, like you know, kind of like this is what's going to happen. I'm like, yeah, it totally wouldn't have made sense because right now it makes such sense that yeah, everything has gone wrong. The car is. Br- I love when the car catches fire and the look. They just look at the flick. Huh, the car's on fire. Like, they don't even react to it. The well, at, that point, at that point, so much has already gone wrong. That's right. That they it's just don't have any emotion right. left to get upset about it. <laughs> and yet, here we are, and we're laughing about it, talking about it, 
a movie we've all seen 20 times, you know, we're talking about it, and we're laughing about the absurdity of the situation. And oh, you, can't, you can't just play, you could have killed me like that. Yes, you know, that's so Dini died. You can't punch me in the stomach when I wasn't ready for it. You know? Oh, my God. Oh, but um, the. Uh, one, yeah, one of the things I, mean, I think it's worth, worth talking about is a, l- a little bit. <laughs> Excuse me. And it's to me, it has varying levels of success. It's one of the things where sometimes it works excellently and sometimes not as much is the use of music in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not a fan of when and John Hughes, I think, does it has had it a lot. I'm not a fan of like the synthesizer type mm-hmm. music that they have in there at all. Uh, but as far as the regular music, the use of you know pop type music in it and Western you know, mm-hmm. country music in there and everything, sure. I think it's all really really well placed and to the point where I think my favorite scene in the movie is watching John Candy uh, lip sync the mess around with with uh, yes. Ray Charles as he's driving <laughs> in the car. I just I love that scene and I think that's my favorite scene in the whole movie. So you know the use of music is definitely uh, major in the film. Yeah, well, the one thing I think they do here is every time, like you know, things are going along, and every time something's going to start, it's, it's just that 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 like that minor key into whatever that same little bit they use every time. It's that no no no, like that whatever. Mm-hmm. Every oh, yeah, yeah. he hits that, and you're like, oh, what's coming next? Because you're now again. This is why in a theater, I'm sure that works really well because that's a cue to the audience going, something else is going to happen now, you know, and kind of thing. And now you're like. Well, I've been laughing so far. Let's keep the laughs rolling, you know, kind of thing. So, um, oh, yeah, no, I agree. And and but John Hughes has always been, I think, on the he was he was on the cutting edge of that though. I think, and that came out of his teen comedies. He the, the music and like Breakfast Club and stuff like that was just so so much the movie. It's kind of like, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine watching those 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 earlier ones without the the music in it, like in the right places and stuff like that, because I think that really built to what it was the you know the pop music that was important to talking about the times and what's going on and that scene makes a lot of sense because the mess around when he's doing that that is so dell like there's not even like i mean he's he's smoking away which you're right you know neil doesn't like and he's but he but he he's he's all over the road i mean he's all over the road even before he gets his arms caught and can't use it and he's trying to drive with his legs and as my dad said, why don't you just step on the brake? And I'm like, well, it's not this. Yeah. As oh the car God. spinning and, Steve, and and Neil Page wakes up and he's looking at him and he's screaming for, for, for whatever it is, two seconds. He's yeah. dressed in a very, very unrealistic devil costume. Oh, no. And, that's, that's, no, that, no that's, that's when they go through the two semis. That's after. Oh, yeah, that is okay. Yes. I'm thinking it was yes. after the mess around. But you're yeah. right. No, it, that's that's after you're going the wrong yeah. way. Oh, they're yeah. drunk. How do they know where it's, we're going? How do they know where we're going? Yeah, how do they know where we're going? Because All that's right, the thank one. you. Which goes yeah. back to the sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Well, when they, when they go through the two semi-trucks, when that's coming up, okay, so I got to say this. So, Dad, again, Dad's watching this with us now that we've he's just seen this movie the day before. When the two semis are coming up, my dad is laughing so hard. Looks like all right, nothing's happening at that, but dad already knows it's going to happen. And my dad is crying, laughing hard. And as they get there, they go through and they turn into the two skeletons and then he's in the devil costume and it just pops us. We're like, whoa, are you kidding me? And of course, and, that, and then after that, of course, you know, then they, the car catches fire and it's just the, the craziness to just, oh, I love they're driving the, after they get done going through the tooth, they both pull their hands, John Candy off the wheel, and Steve Martin off the dashboard, like as if his fingers were embedded into the dashboard. 
funny, funny stuff. Oh man, yeah. And I, I, I just, I, I mean, I, we we could go over scene by scene, which we're kind sure, of yeah, doing yeah. in our own yeah, way. But it's just, it's just, yeah. you know, it's it's nonstop, but it never, it's it doesn't come, it doesn't feel like the diehard of comedies where it's just, you yeah. know, uh, nonstop in that way. But if you sit back and you enjoy it. There's funny things going on in every scene, but I think the thing that really makes this movie, and I, I go back to what I said earlier, is that it's got a heart to it. Both sure. of the characters in their own way are relatable. Both of the characters are sympathetic. Neither one is really the bad guy at all. Even even right. you know when Neil Page is being a hard ass, you understand why he is, yeah, and, yeah. and you and you never you know never blame him for it because you see the you know how put upon he's been up to this point. So. I think that's a hard balance to have because he's the one who's constantly getting irked by Del Gossett's yes. behavior. So now what you need to do is you have, need to have him get angry and lash out, but not have the audience dislike him for lashing out. Right, and you right. need John Candy to be doing things that are causing him to lash out without ever having the audience feel like, oh, my God, I hate this guy. Right. And and that never happens. You you truly care, for, care about both of them. I have to say I did not see the end coming and if anybody hasn't seen the movie yet I, I you know i think we've given away too much anyway but you know when, when when they leave and then steve martin is on his way home finally mm-hmm. and then comes to the realization that dell is at this point in his life homeless yeah. uh i i didn't see that coming and i i really think I, I don't see that it was so obvious from the clues that they gave that Steve Martin should have figured it out, but he did in any in any event. And when he comes back, it really just puts a bow on the top of this thing yeah. uh, as far as that heart, because now that's the end of Neil, Neil Page's character arc, where he's now accepted basically Dell as part of his family. Yeah. And his family accepts him too. It does. They don't bring, he doesn't bring right. him home and get, oh my God, who is this you brought here? They're, they're happy to have him there, yeah. which is just cool. I- I think I think the scene where they're in the, the the little the little diner when he says we should go in our separate ways and whatever when he when when Neil when Neil has and, and that's why I felt Neil goes yeah I'm not home enough and he goes and Dell Flyout says yeah I've been homing years and he just yeah. says it so matter of factly when he says it, he goes what do you mean he goes oh it's just a figure of speech yeah and that's and, the clue that does oh, get Steve, Neil yeah. Page to to realize it because when he's thinking about it they play that line over again yeah uh, but you know maybe it's just because I'm dense but I wouldn't have picked it up no, no. From what that. I'm saying is you, but you definitely don't get that the first time and maybe even even the second time that you have to again when, the problem becomes this and I think you and I fall in this category and dad mentions this and Luke says it's a lot of times up too when we're watching a movie to talk about it here when we're when we're trying to you know, we're trying to break the movie down and we're making notes and doing whatever. We watch it with a different eye than we would when we're watching a movie for enjoyment to just watch a movie, right? You know, sure. if I'm watching Jason and the Argonauts, which I've seen a hundred million times, and I'm trying to be critical, I'm trying to make notes and do all this stuff, but I can, Jason and the Argonauts, I can play the whole movie in my head. I know it, you know, kind of thing, you know, kind of thing. What we, I think when we when you look at it with a critical eye, you, you're like, all right, I already know that his wife, and again, Sorry, guys, if you, if you haven't seen this movie, we've given away all this stuff. His wife is, is passed away, and so he, there is no wife anymore. She's been dead eight years. So that's that, that, that she's dead, I mean, maybe you don't know she's dead. Maybe you think, like, maybe she's left him or maybe whatever, but he's really sad. And when you know he's sad, you see it throughout, and I think that's why this is such a great role for John Candy. When he's sitting in the train station, when, when, when Neil walks through and there's Dell just sitting there, it is... One of the most hard, I mean, like I said, I, I mean, I actually, my, my eyes started welling up. I started crying. 
And like, I know it's coming. I'm not stupid. I know he's going to be sitting there. And it's like, he's like, Dell, what are you doing here? And he's like, uh, and it, it, like, he doesn't have an answer. Like he doesn't have that snappy comeback. He doesn't, he doesn't have that, you know, Oh, well, I sold that guy shower curtains. I'm just waiting. Like he doesn't have that thing. And you finally get to see the real Dell, the guy mm-hmm. who's put the guard down. And it's like, and when he comes back to the house, I mean, when they're walking down the street, carrying that dang case, that, that giant case down the street, oh, I'll just come in and say hello. No, well, that also coming- makes more sense when you know that he's homeless because that's all yeah. his possessions in there. Everything, yeah. So yeah. it makes sense that he's carrying that giant thing with him now. Yeah. But I'm sorry and, to interrupt and, you. Yeah. No, 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 but that's, what, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's, it's all those things that you don't know the first time, and if you don't watch it with a critical eye, Maybe you wouldn't pick up on that, but when you start looking at it critically, you're like, "Oh my god, of course! Oh my god, of course, it's there!" It's, it's, it's. I, I always call it like it's, it's the usual suspects. When mm-hmm. you know what the ending, you know, when you know the ending of usual suspects, you watch it again. You're like, "Holy crap! I see him doing it all the whole time." Yes, when you know to look for it, you know to say, "Okay, well, why does he have? Why would he be carrying around all this stuff? He has his pillow. He has his this. He has his this. Well, he's a he's a traveling salesman. He needs that." But he's got a he's got a guy in every every single town. He's got a guy he sold shower curtains to. Like every little hotel, and, and, and it's never the fancy hotel. It's always the little hotels. It's always the little things. It's a little you know, when Steve Martin looks up at, in, in in the shower scene in the very beginning, and there are the rings that he sold him. You know, to, for the for the shower curtains. You're like, of course, someone's got to sell that. Like you can kind of see Steve Martin in his head or Neil Page in his head saying, of course, someone had to sell him that. Yeah, like, he 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 respects him as that like. Oh, he's a businessman ish, you know, kind of thing. Like he's a salesman, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, the end of this movie, when, when, when they come into the house, uh, it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's the John Hughes ending. It's, it's, it's the, it's the fist pump, you know, walking off when Judd Nelson walks off. It's, 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 you know, it's Ferris getting away with things. It's all those things. It's a John Hughes ending. And I think we've, we mentioned this before. Um, John Hughes is it's like its own category of films. Like there's John Hughes movies, you know, kind of things like people try to make movies like his movies. They are not successful sometimes. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not, but they try to make his movies. But I think he's one of them. I mean, cause he wrote, produced and directed this thing. This is his baby, right? This is, this is all his, this is as, as they would say, this is like, this is his joint, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing they, they would say about Spike Lee, you know, kind of thing, but that's it. But he, he has that ability to capture the the absurdity of a situation that still is grounded in reality no matter how crazy that might seem but it's ultimately still there and as yeah sure at one point you know could could any number of different things happen in this movie sure but at no point even though it's absolutely absurd at no point are you going okay that's so crazy i couldn't believe that would happen or that's so like you know you, you don't have to suspend your disbelief so much so that each one of those, any of those situations couldn't happen. Now, the likelihood of them happening back to back to back to back starts getting a little, you know, nuts, but isn't that what makes good comedy? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the yep. idea. So, but I agree. Uh, I, go ahead. The, the one thing I just want to say real quick here is this, is that um, as this is a Thanksgiving movie, and there aren't many other, I'm trying to think of other Thanksgiving movies, the one I'm th- coming to think about is... Um, where Sandra Bullock is the ticket taker and the guy falls in front of the train. While you were sleeping. To be, while you were sleeping. Thank you. I couldn't remember what the name of that was. Right. I'm trying to think of another Thanksgiving movie that's 
not King Kong or Mighty Joe Young or you know the uh, you know Babes in Toyland kind of thing. I'm trying to think of like and and not not like not like Thanks Killing the the trauma one about the killer no, no, turkey no, 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 or whatever no. you know not that stuff. I'm trying to think of another Thanksgiving movie that could even be on a level of like this kind of thing where it's actually about Thanksgiving um, because to me Thanksgiving just like you said was always King Kong and Son of Kong and we used to watch and or, or Mighty Young. And then WOR, again, going New York, going local, the, on the day after Thanksgiving, would show, um, often would show Godzilla, right? right. Or, or, a, or King Kong, actually. King Kong me, versus Godzilla. Is King Kong versus Godzilla and King Kong lives. And Luke would get mad at me for getting that wrong because I share it all the time. But that's what they would show. And to me, those are the movies that always were associated with Thanksgiving, you know? And it wasn't until now like, you know, until like the mid eighties here, you know, kind of thing that now we actually have a movie that's really about Thanksgiving and really what Thanksgiving is about the growth that these two men again, absolutely insane situation. They both grow as humans. They both grow as people is that the, the love that eventually, I mean, as much as Neil might not want to admit it, Dell, you know, he got him home. Yeah. It wasn't the best way ever, but he got him there. And he, he truly understands where this man is now, the, the loss in his life and why he's like this. And it's that, that craziness. It's, it's just, I think, I think that's why this movie um, resonates so much with, with um, and again, it, 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 depending on, and again, if you've never seen it, I mean, there's, I mean, well, you should have watched it before you started listening to us because we've ruined it. No, um, you know what? Saying, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with you there because I don't think we've ruined it at all. I, I think really, the fact, yes, well, uh, because we've talked about how this movie withstands multiple, multiple, multiple watches. Oh, okay, right. So, yes. so the fact that it is that type of movie, I think, even if you already know, it, it's, it's not based on the secrets. Like yeah. the jo- enjoyment of the movie isn't based on discovering those secrets. I those agree. are what give it the heart that it has that we keep talking about. But the comedy is what it is, and the yeah, heart yeah, of yeah. the comedy is what it is. And I think if you haven't seen it, I no, I strongly recommend that you do, and don't let the fact that we've given away a couple of the secrets make you yeah. think that it's going to somehow make this not worthwhile. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's more. I mean, like, I mean, we've given away the the secret part, that the parts that are the 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 reveals, I should say. You know what I'm saying? But the comedy parts all still work because they're still funny, even if you know they're coming. So, um, but yeah, I just, it's just one of those things I was trying to, cause I thought about that today as I was, you know, I was, I was doing, was like, what other Thanksgiving movies are there? You yeah. know what? I, I think because, because, because Christmas itself has been so inundated with movies, you know, from Christmas story to, you know, national lampoons, Christmas vacation and to whatever, you know, I think like there's just no other Thanksgiving movie. And because this movie works so well, maybe that has been why there aren't any others. You ever think of that? Like, I mean, like John Hughes really nailed this one. Yeah, he really did. What if this one was time out and it was nailed. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying, but what, what if this was didn't work? You'd be like, oh man, I can make a Thanksgiving movie because I could be better than that. Good luck being better than planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. Because you'd have to really get up early in the morning and start working your butt off to get something where you can get you know, a movie that can do what this movie does on all its different levels. So, but yeah, I just, you know, it's one of those things I just started thinking about that. I started thinking about like what Thanksgiving means. And again, there is uh, probably a whole section of your listening audience that going, Jay, you haven't mentioned that, you know, Thanksgiving means, you know, MST three K and that's the other half of Thanksgiving to me. You know, Thanksgiving was always, Mm -hmm. Mr. Shining two or 3000. But as a young kid, 
you know, before plane trains and automobiles, it was King Kong and, you know, Kiss, you know and, uh, Major Young and whatever. And then this movie, and I'm like, this became a movie we watched around Thanksgiving time. And then we got a little older. It was misty. But this movie was always there. This movie never has left. You know what I'm saying? And that's the great part. And now, you know, you know, at, at the age of 40, you know, I'm still enjoying this movie. I still, I still love when it's on. If it's, if it's on, it, like, it'll be on every once in a while. It'll be on. And I'll catch like, oh, hang on, what scene are we up to? Oh, okay, the, the car rental scene. And Kelly's like, what? I'm like, just, 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 shush. You know, kind of thing. And it's like, <laughs> I got to see this because it just, it's, it's that comfortable. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's like putting on a glove. It fits so well. So, but you um, know what, Jay? Yeah. Is it yours? Well, and I think that's, that's where we get to. Um, and I think this is one of the things we look at. If, if I have to look at what are my all time favorite comedies, period, right? Just all time favorite comedies, the odd couple, major league, you know, and you know, like uh, young Frankenstein, um, Abbott Costello, me, Frankenstein, things like that. This movie falls in that category of being the elite comedies to me, movies that are fun, still funny. And I can watch them and I can truly enjoy them. It's the, the, to me, this falls into the Jaws one category. This is Jaws. It falls into that category because it's not just a funny movie. Because I've seen funny movies where I laugh and then I forget about them the next day. This movie stays with you. It's, it's got John Candy's best, best role ever, um, you know, uh, by way of his acting. It is some of the best. It is some of the best um, Steve Martin not being funny man Steve Martin in any movie. And it's, to me, some of John Hughes' best work. Um, I put this, it, it, to think about John, I put this at a level of like, above 16 candles. I know that's blasphemy. People are like, well, you this is, like, to me, Breakfast Club might be John Hughes' best teen, teen movie. That and Ferris Bueller. I mean, I love Ferris Bueller's too. This is that level, if not above it, because it just shows a maturity that those movies didn't need to have because those are very different films. So... Yeah, That's where I, I'm at, folks. I, I agree with I agree with everything you say, and it's to me it's like a hidden jaws. Yeah. Uh, as much as you know, every every Thanksgiving comes, and I think, oh, I have to watch Plane Transit Automobiles. And when we talk about this movie, I immediately, you know, anytime it comes up, I'm immediately saying, oh, that movie's great, I love that. But if you had asked me just list my favorite comedies, I probably would overlook this one. Yeah. Or I probably would have before I took it look at it with a critical eye. Uh, and it probably wouldn't have been as high on the list or, or it wouldn't have come to mind immediately. I think once it, came, yeah. once it came to mind, I would have found the right spot for it. But it yeah. just doesn't jump out at me as being, you know, when, when, I, when you say to me, you know, what are the best comedies of all time? I'm going mm-hmm. to go with, you know, things like Blazing Saddles and mm-hmm. Animal House. And it's a mad, 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 mad world. And yeah. uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just start rattling out movies like that. And it's probably going to take me a while before I get to Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. But it really is, mm-hmm. for, for what it is, it's nearly a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, like I said, the dialogue is excellent. The acting is excellent. The, the directing, you know, I, I can't say the directing is particularly artsy, but it, it's so easy to follow this movie. Uh, you know, the, the, the editing is great because the comedy mm-hmm. beats really hit right on the money time and time again. Uh, and it, and it bears up to repeated viewing. It's got, you know, so many quotable lines. It, it really is a great movie. And yeah. I'm giving it a Jaws ranking just as you are. 
Yeah. And to be, to be honest, if you think about it, um, it's one of those, and I, I've, and I agree with you because again, again, if someone said to me, which what's the funniest movie of all time? I, mean, I always say the odd couple, cause I absolutely love the odd couple. And again, a movie about, it's really about talking, you know, kind of thing. It's the interactions, it's the back and forth, it's the delivery, it's Neil Simon, it's that level. The, the, the comedies that we get nowadays, um, to me, I mean, and there, and there, I'm not saying there aren't movies that have made me laugh, you know, in, and with more current movies, they don't have what this movie has. It doesn't have that, that, you know, that the heart, it doesn't have that level of writing. It doesn't have all those things. And yeah, I mean, but, but again, like you said, when you, when you, when you plane change and all this, Oh my God, it's a funny movie. Like you, it's not like one of those, like, eh, like I've never met people like, eh, like, you know, people like when they, when they, cause if they've never seen it, they're like, I've never heard of it. But when you see it, it just, it, it, cause it hits you. And you know, Hey, I'm, thank you very much for having me on to talk about it because I tell you, you know, um, I, I don't know when else I would have had a chance because you know what I'm saying like this doesn't really you know, just doesn't fall fit my... bug, bugs, bots, and babes. Well, it, it could fall into bots, bugs, and babes. It doesn't. You right, know, I mean, we, we do. It's okay. You no, know, we, we sometimes <laughs> you know talk about things, but again, I think this is the kind of place where we should be talking about this kind of movie because, like we said, we you and I have spoken, you know, uh, you know, uh, on the air with my brother and when Gene was on, like all different kinds of movies, and you know, for a movie to be uh, a seminal movie, for a movie to be you know, at that level where we, we're again using this the Jaws scale, right? It doesn't have to be a drama or a comedy or a horror. It, any of those movies can fall there if they're made the right way and properly and done that stuff. And I think that's the nice part about this. This movie, and again, folks, if you have never seen Plane, Trains, and Albums, or maybe it's been years, maybe you haven't seen it in years, it is worth sitting down and watching it hopefully with a bunch of other, a couple other people who are in the right mindset to let's, Hey, let's have a good time. And you know, the time flies by this movie is, I mean, it's not like, I mean, again, it's not, it's not a, it's not Spartacus, you know, kind of thing. It's not, you know, a three hour Epic, but you know, for a 92 minute movie, it doesn't let up. Like, it's not like there's anything you're like, all right, well, here's the downtime. It just keeps going and going and going and it just, you know, works well. So, but you know, I want to thank you Paul for having me on. Cause you know, um, this is, it's always fun to revisit something that I love um, and memories of Thanksgiving, you know, kind of thing. Like it's part of what it is. So, right. Um, but I, I agree with everything, everything you've said about this, but before <laughs> we call it a day, and I want to thank yeah. you for coming on with me and making the time oh, yeah. to talk about this uh, before we call it a day. Why don't you tell everybody about the shows that you can be found on? Sure. So the main show I'm found on, um, most commonly with my dad, um, is Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie podcast, um, where we are, you know, we cover, you know, we cover all kinds of stuff. And uh, we've been trying this year especially to um, kind of, you know, we, we went as far back as like, you know, King Kong from 33 and, uh, you know, Dad and I saw Kong of Skull Island and then an hour after we saw it, we recorded a podcast. Like the movie had literally been out for a day. Um, we're trying to do all kinds of stuff there. Um, the other places you can find us are, uh, my, my brother, Luke, um, the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, uh, you and, um, the original, one of the OGs, Chris Honeywell on the Starling vault, a monster hard Starling. I screwed We're on the vault. It's, it's, it's what it is. I screwed, that, I screwed up all the time. That's why I never enter the show because I mess it up. Um, but that's our horror podcast. Um, and we are covering all kinds of stuff. We're in the middle of freak's choice right now. Um, some great episodes. We actually have a Christmas episode coming up. Um, and then, uh, the other one we have, my brother, Luke and, uh, the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler and I is get back to the wrestling. Cause finally there's a show on the internet about professional wrestling. So, um, but yeah, 
And, you know, I do tend to pop up here and there every once in a while. People will say, hey, you want to come on and talk about comic books? And I'm like, comic books? I don't read them, but I'll help, you know, kind of thing. But it's okay. Um, yeah, we have a good time. And, you know, I'll be honest with you is I love coming on here because um, it's whenever whenever we suggest something, it's never like, oh, we got to have Jay on because it's a giant bug movie. We got to have whatever. It's like, hey, that movie makes sense. Let's, you know, because here's a, you know, I mean, we've talked about, you know, the odd couple being New Yorkers, it makes sense here. This makes sense. It's, it's all that different stuff. So, you know, but so like I said, thank you very much for having me. And, uh, folks, thank you very much for downloading and listening and supporting the two true freaks network. And, um, you know, we do this, um, because it's a lot of fun and, you know, um, I can honestly say that, uh, um, sometimes life gives you not the best hand, so to speak, you know what I'm saying, Paul? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes you got to make the best of it. And this is the kind of stuff that makes me feel good. I mean, I, We've been talking here for however long we've been doing this, and I love talking about this stuff. I love talking about you know movies I love, and I love talking to people who I enjoy, and I love entertaining you guys. So thank you all very much. So. Yeah, thank thank you all for listening, and thanks again, Jay. I really I enjoy I enjoy talking to you. <laughs> Clear my sinuses. I'll snore all night. Gee, if your kid spills his milk, what do you do? Slap him in the head? What? 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 What is that supposed to mean? You're not a very tolerant person. Look, you've been under my skin since New York, starting with ripping off my cab. God, you're a tight ass. How'd you like a mouthful of teeth? Oh, and hostile too. Nice personality combination. Hostile and intolerant. That's borderline criminal. Screw you. You spill beer all over the bed. You smoke. You, you, you mess up the bathroom. Well, who let you stay in the room? I even let you pay for it so you wouldn't feel like an intruder, which you most certainly are. Oh, oh I'm an intruder. Yes, you're an intruder. I was having a perfectly nice trip until you walked into my life. I walked into your life. Who was that who talked my ear off on the plane? Who was that? I'm curious. Well, who told you to book a room? I did out of the goodness of my dumb old heart. Boy, you're an ungrateful jackass. Well, go ahead. Sleep in the lobby. See if I care. I hope you wake up so stiff you can't even move. You're no saint. You got a free cab. You got a free room. And someone who'll listen to your boring stories. I mean, didn't you, didn't you notice on the plane when you started talking, eventually I started reading the vomit bag? Didn't that give you some sort of clue? Like, hey, maybe this guy's not enjoying it? You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. You choose things that are that are funny or or mildly amusing or interesting. You're a miracle. Your stories have none of that. They're not even amusing accidentally. Honey, I'd, li I'd like you to meet Del Griffith. He's got some amusing anecdotes for you. Oh, and here's a gun so you can blow your brains out. You'll thank me for it. <sighs> I, I I could tolerate any any insurance seminar. For days, I could sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. And I'd say, how can you stand it? And I'd say, because I've been with Del Griffith. I can take anything. And you know what they'd say? They'd say, I know what you mean. The shower curtain ring guy. Whoa. It's, it's like going on a date with a chatty Kathy doll. 
I expect you have a little string on your chest, you know, that I pull out and have to snap back. Except I wouldn't pull it out and snap it back. You would. Ah, 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 ah. And by the way, you know, when you're, when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. You want to hurt me? Go right ahead if it makes you feel any better. I'm an easy target. Yeah, you're right. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me, because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. 